our saving Lord, who has saved us from our sins and given us life eternal and a relationship with God the Father, rescued us from ourselves in the slave market of sinfulness. It's that we celebrate. We celebrate our freedom and our liberty in Christ because he paid the penalty for our sins. Well, for all of you who've ever wondered what's the use of praying God's will is going to be done anyway, stay tuned because this morning we're going to answer that question. Our Father and our God, we pray this morning that you would quicken our hearts with a fresh realization of who you are and and what you desire of us. Lord, I pray that we might recognize all the benefits that Christ has made possible for us by his sacrifice on our behalf, by being our substitute for paying the penalty of the sins that we deserve to pay, to pay for, but couldn't, Father. You have done this great work in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, on our behalf. And so, our Father, I pray that you might fire up our lives, that we might be truly people on mission. Give us ministry hearts and a Uh, uh, an urgency about the lost, Father. I pray that you might give us a a sense of concern about our own lives and, and that we would walk before you in righteous ways. And I pray, Father, that we would not discount the importance of being in intimate relationship with you and being very close to you in our lives. And so I pray, Father, this morning that you would Uh, deliver to us what's on your heart. Father, would you, uh, these are your people. This is your flock. We're your people, Lord. You're the great shepherd. And I pray, Father, that your message from your heart to our hearts would be emblazoned upon them. Lord, I pray that there'd be no distractions. I pray that we would focus on the things of God and that you would change us. Lord, I pray that this would be a a, a time of change in our lives that we'll, whereby we would never be the same because we have met with you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It was near the end of Christ's earthly ministry. The crucifixion loomed, and Jesus had just reminded his disciples again of what was about to transpire. And in the... Uh, description that he gave them, he said this, the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. A pre-recorded plan. It was the will of God. Jesus knew it, yet after supper, he made a beeline to a quiet place called Gethsemane, the olive press, to pray. Why? Why bother to pray? He had already stated to the disciples, the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. It is the will of God, so why go and pray? Surely, as we think through that and as we wrestle with the the sovereignty of God, whose will is accomplished in in, in all of the affairs of mankind, surely this explains why many of us struggle with prayerlessness. After communion that first communion, they sang the halal, Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. And then Jesus warns his disciples of the tenuous hold they have on loyalty to him. Maybe that is a hint as to why he hauled them all out to the garden to pray. 
I want to talk to you this morning about moving prayer from optional mystery to urgent practice in your lives. Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 26, verse 36 through 45? I want to uh, uh, ferret out for you this morning six observations from that night in Gethsemane with Jesus under the rubric, Why Pray? Matthew chapter 26, verse 36 through 45. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. And then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This is the word of God. In this text, I think, is the key to understanding prayer as worship. We are working our way through a mini-series on worship, Jesus' way. And this morning, I want to look at the, the key to understanding prayer as worship from the example of our Lord, Jesus Christ. And I want to share six observations with you this morning. And the first is this in terms of, of why pray under that that question, why pray? And the first is this. Our loyalty to Jesus through prayer is important to him. He's the one who calls us to pray. However deeply we delve into this text theologically, it matters to Jesus that we pray. He's the one who called the disciples to pray. He's the one who calls us to pray. He doesn't save us so that we will continue on in our merry way of independence and and not consulting with him and not relating to him. A father or a mother in here understands this with respect to your own children. You long for them to talk to you, to share what's going on in their lives, to to come and ask you, to, to consult with you, to to share with you their emotional burdens and and hurts and struggles. That's why we had kids, so that they they would respond to us, they would relate to us. It's no different with the Lord. He's rescued us that we might have a an intimate living relationship with Him ongoing in our lives day by day. And, and so the, I think the first, and, and, and right off the, the, the top, the, that, that it's Jesus who's called us to this. And if we studied nothing else, it's enough. 
that we ought to pray. But I want to su- submit to you that the, that the principle of prayer companionship applies in, in, in the case of the comfort of, of people to others also. We, we long for people to pray with us. The prophet Samuel, as he was standing before the people of Israel, you know, he, he said, far be it from me that I would sin against the Lord by forgetting to pray for you. And then as Paul was writing to the Thess- or as James was writing his epistle in James 5:16, he, he frames it this way: pray for one another. He frames it as a command. This is not something that's granted to us optional when we feel like it or whatever. That's for the highly spiritual Christian. No, it's a command for, for everyone who's in the family of God. Pray for one another. It's a matter of loyalty to Jesus. It's important to Him. And He's our Savior and our Lord. And so it's matters, it matters to us. But, but secondly, I think, uh, drawing out of this text, what you do in preparation for crisis time will determine if you go through the trial. No. Will determine how you go through the trial. I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here this morning. I heard you sing. I know that you, 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 you can sing to the Lord, but listen, we all know that, that there are trials upon trials and tests and temptations that come into our lives. It's not if we're going to face a struggle in our lives. It's, it's that we're going to. None of us knows how Monday's going to turn out or Tuesday or, or Thursday. You don't know what next Friday is going to be like. We all, we all stand in need of God knowing full well that there are trials and tests and struggles that are set before us. And in prayer, it's the preparation time for how we will go through a trial. You see, Jesus had presented to them just back a couple of verses right after the communion a pre-trial devotional from the book of Zechariah. In fact, Zechariah 13, verse 7, is, uh, is the text that he chose to share with his disciples. And, and he says to them, It is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Are you listening, guys? This is the last devotional that he gave them. The shepherd is going to be struck. The sheep are going to be scattered. And something you've never seen before. I'm going to rise from the dead. He was trying to create in them a an urgency of heart concerning the, the things that were about to unfold. And, and all they could do is do a spiritual one-upmanship on each other. Oh, I'll take care. I'll, I'll be loyal to the Lord. Oh, I'll even be more loyal to the Lord. And he's looking at them, and I'm sure that if he wasn't doing it visibly, he was doing it in his heart, shaking his head as he was thinking, could, you, could, could we just pause and think about this stuff and pray about these things and prepare ourselves just a little bit. Yeah, this wasn't some sort of hypothetical concern off in the distance somewhere. If. No, no, this, this was when and soon. We need to be prepared like that. 
in our own lives. Each day for the onslaught that awaits. The Apostle Paul, in addressing the Christians in Rome, in Romans chapter 8, verse 36, reminds them or informs them that for the sake of Christ, we face death all day long. We are like sheep led to the slaughter. Every day, we battle the power of hell arrayed against us and all the things that God loves. That's our lives. His transparency alone as he comes before the disciples and shares with them the deep turmoil of his heart should have resulted in concern enough among them that they would pray with him. What an invitation. Think about it. The Lord of glory personally invites you to pray with him. This morning, um, just before our first service, we have our prayer, prayer band that meets in the boardroom. And, and, and we were, we were, before we were praying, we were, I was reminding them that, that we get to go before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What other people in all the world have this invitation to speak to the King of Kings, to consult with him, to, to, to ask him to preside over your life? We of all people have this, to, to, to come into his presence, to think about that. Now, how did it all turn out? Well, we know that Jesus began, it says in the text, with great sorrow in his heart and turmoil and, and agony. And he went from, from sorrowful agony to courageous resolve because he prayed. What about the disciples? From sleepy disregard to disloyalty and desertion. Because they didn't pray. Seems to me there's something there for us to learn. Now there's a third uh, observation I think is worth looking at. There's a whole wing of Christianity that I call the wingnut side of Christianity. It's the side of Christianity that says those on the top of their faith... We'll never have trials or troubles or struggles or poverty or sickness. In fact, prayer is about writing your ticket with God. In fact, I think there's even a book entitled that. Write your ticket with God. I don't find that stuff all that helpful. Because I've pastored now for the last 20 plus years. You know what I've seen among God's people? Poverty, sickness, struggles, tests, trials, temptations, agony, distress, pain, heartache. Don't any of us have enough faith? And then I look at this text and I see the example of my Lord. says in the text, he was sorrowful and troubled and his soul was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. 
there's hardly any description emotionally that can top how down Jesus was. So what? Did he not have enough faith? Did the Lord not have enough resources to overcome all of this? Is that why he was found like this? You can be spirit-filled in the, in, in the will of God person and legitimately have great distress and trial of soul. Why pray? Because this is true of all of our lives. The facts, Jesus is down. He's really down. Let's not, let's not sugarcoat this. Let's not pretend this isn't the way it is. He was sorrowful and troubled. He was in great anguish. Uh, the words here can be otherwise described as at a loss, bewildered. He no longer felt at home in his own skin. Have you been there? The prophet Isaiah granted an image of the description of the passion of Christ in Isaiah 53 describes some of the agony of our Savior. And he says stuff like, He carried our sorrows. He was crushed for our iniquities. I think too regularly, we, all we think about is the nails that went through his hands and the spear that was thrust in his side and the, the, the crown of thorns that was rammed upon his head. And all of that was painful and, and horrible and, and physically distressing. But, but everything that's ever described about Jesus isn't about that fundamentally. It's about the emotional turmoil and weight and pain that was upon our Lord because of us. He, the Lord Jesus Christ, was chosen by the Father to endure for humanity the cup, the full cup of God's wrath, his judgment and punishment upon sin, the sins of the whole world. Think about it. Think about your own quantity of sin. And now multiply that by all of the people of all time, all over the world, and all of that sin, the quantity of all of that was poured upon Jesus. He was made sin for us. He's in great distress and agony. Jesus neither lacks faith nor access to divine resources. Prayer Jesus' way is all about obedience. And true obedience is never, never simple. What Jesus was anticipating and looking ahead to was dying alone on a cross. Religion had rejected him. The religious leaders had turned on him. The people had turned on him. The government had alienated him. The disciples had cut and run. Peter had disowned him. 
The, the robbers and thieves on the cross beside him railed against him. The, the people walking by him wagged their heads and, and accused him. The, the soldiers turned on him. The sun itself went away and hid. And God the Father turned from him. And the writer to the book of Hebrews says... He was heard because of his reverent submission. It says there, although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And you know what? He became the source of eternal salvation for who? All who obey him. And he says, pray for one another. Pray without ceasing. Come and pray with me. Jesus learned obedience from suffering that led him to praying. And praying trained him in obedience. This is a key to understanding prayer. Prayer trains us in obedience. It trains us in the action that most shows our love for God. He says, do you love me? Keep my commands. His command is that we might pray. And I think we all know that regularly when we go to prayer, rather than changing every cloudy day to sunshine, often things get even harder for us. You experience that? Our friend Daniel, who we studied a few weeks back, he obeyed the Lord, got down on his knees and prayed three times a day, as was his habit, even when he was forbidden to do that. Did life get easier for him because he obeyed? No, life got much harder for him. He was thrown into a lion's den. Now, he had the opportunity at that moment, prior to the lion's den, should I obey the Lord and pray, or should I disobey him and try and save my own skin? It surely looked easier at the moment, and when he was thrown into the lion's den, I'm sure for an inkling or a second, he might have thought, it might have been easier if I just had changed my pattern Obedience regularly keeps things bad in prayer or in play. But that's why obedience is required. Because the, uh, the trouble and the struggle and the trial that, that Jesus was about to go through and the ordeals that we're about to go through on the basis of obeying the Father in heaven are going to require the strength of God to endure Obedience in prayer is critical. And in his humanity, Jesus is at a crossroads in this text. As one writer puts it, death at a distance can be managed. You know, for the young, for the most part, they see death a long way away. But for we old guys... Death imminent overwhelms. His sense of life here was being crushed out of him. Literally, he bared his soul to a small select group. It's not dissimilar, by the way, in this description to a full-blown burnout. Burnout happens regularly, not from recklessness, but because you care too much. 
And Jesus was there. And he said to his friends, stay here. Keep alert. Pray with me. Keep your spiritual eyes wide open that you might be able to see the way things really are. Why do we need to have a richly cultivated relationship with the living God in prayer? Fourthly, the three closest to Jesus fail him most directly. Beloved, you know this. There is only one who sticks closer than a brother. And that's Jesus. You can be surrounded by hundreds and hundreds of friends. And you can have the best of friends. And they mean, mean well. But when it comes to that dark night of the soul, and they've promised, they've promised to tarry with you in prayer, to know how you feel, to understand you, to be concerned about you, and they mean so well. But they may not show up. They may not be there. People may disappoint you. You may hope for more than people are able to give, but here's the thing. Jesus will always be there. He will be in that dark moment praying with you to the Father in heaven. You'll have your prayer meeting with someone else and it'll be Jesus. And that's what he brings to us here. You see, the, the, the disciples, they, they quickly said to him, oh, you know, you don't want this prayer thing. We'll, we'll, we'll all be fine, Lord. We'll, we'll be good. We'll be action, guys. You know what, Lord? When the action really starts, you can count on us. We'll be there. They were... One-upping each other. Well, yeah, I'll be there even more than you'll be there. I'll, I'll be there so much that, that you'll want to write a whole story about how much I'm there for you, Lord. I'm an activist. We're, we're activists, Lord. We, we're not the kind who can go quietly into some pr- prayer closet. We've got to be doing something. I find myself so convicted in this area of life. Because I'm first a person of action. People of action, you know, struggle to commit to the devotional life of prayer. Because they convince themselves that their loyalty and commitment is found in their action. But the action that produces loyalty requires preparation in prayer. Preparation that prayer only provides. The next time we see Peter, who was the one who stood in front of everybody and said, they may all disown you, Lord, but I won't. The next time we see Peter, he's cursing to a young girl around a fire pit, saying, I don't even know the man. It makes you wonder if he had spent a a few minutes on his knees in prayer, if it would have jogged his memory about who Jesus was. And all the rest of the activists cut and run.
Disobedience to a command to pray now leads to disloyalty later every single time. And Jesus tells them why. Because the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. We don't, we don't, mean, to, we don't mean to be disloyal to the Lord. There, there's no one of us sitting here this morning who said, who's planning to be disloyal to the Lord tomorrow. In fact, you're just doing the opposite. Saying, Lord, I, I failed you this past week, but, but I, I'm not going to fail you this coming week. None of us want to do that. So in our heart of hearts, in our desire, in our, in our, in our, in our life, in our body, we're saying, no, Lord, I, I, I'm not going to fail you. I, I don't want to fail you. Jesus said, I know that's what you're thinking, but here's the deal. Your body's weak. He says to them, I don't know if you noticed in the text, but you think you're so strong. You think you're going to be loyal to me under, the, under fire. And he says, you can't even keep the skin over your eyes from falling down over your eyes. He says your eyes are heavy. You think you're so strong? Do, we, do any of us think we're really strong? We, we, can't even, we can't even keep this little tiny piece of skin from drifting over our eyeball. And we think that we can leave this place. I mean, some of you are having trouble even this morning. <laughs> and we think we can leave this place with that kind of power and take on all of the minions of hell. You think? If you do not say your prayers, you will not resist temptations because you're not strong enough. We think we're strong enough. One writer says, if we love the Lord. But Jesus knows we are never strong enough if we do not pray. Strength is not the fruit of willpower or even of devotion. Or praxis. Strength is the fruit of prayer. Not because it's a formula. Not because prayer is anything special. But because in prayer we are engaging all of the power of the Lord of creation. There's one final observation I want to make this morning with you. So what is Jesus teaching us here most powerfully for the journey? I think it is this, that prayer is consulting the king of your life. It's not talking God into your way. It's asking to have what he wants more confirmed in your heart. Stay with me here. In prayer... The writer to Hebrews says, Jesus was heard. And in that prayer, Jesus heard the Father. That's the, that's the majesty and glory of prayer. We are told that we serve a prayer answering God, which means we serve a prayer hearing God. He hears our prayers. 
We call out to him. And in calling out to him, we're heard by the Father in heaven. And then we get to hear the Father in heaven in return. Watch. In prayer, you are seeking to hear the Father's will so you can have confidence, so that you can have confidence aligning your own will to God's. I want you to know that prayer prevents you from either fighting for what you want or attempting to meet your own needs. And either of these are deadly and destructive in your life. So was this just prayer of Jesus, just some sort of meaningless show that he was orchestrating? Was this some sort of window dressing? I mean, after all, the Father's will was already laid out. It was already pre-recorded. So, so was Jesus just doing some sort of window dressing in this prayer, going to the Father and, and, and making some sort of show, that, that, uh, some sort of show of faith when really it's all about faith? Well, let's look at the text. Let's see what Jesus said. He says in verse 39, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. In other words, Jesus is asking the Heavenly Father if there is another way of salvation. If there is another way in particular of propitiation. A theological term we use to reference the, the diverting of the will of God or the, the, the wrath of God. Jesus was asking the Father, Father, if there is any other way that salvation can be granted to the people of this world. Any other way but me having to drink the cup, the full cup of your wrath against sin, judgment and punishment on sin, if there's any other way that this could happen, I'd be interested in hearing about it. But I want your will, Father. I want nothing besides your will. And he agonizes. In the other text, it says that blood, drops of blood came out of his pores of his skin. Some of you have been on your knees with that kind of agony. And he checks out to see if his friends are praying with him too. You guys been praying? Hello? Hello? And so he goes back. And this time, notice what he says to the Father. Verse 42. You'll see a transition. The first time he says, if it is possible. The second time he says, if it is not possible. The Father has been speaking to him. Father, if it is not possible for propitiation, for salvation to come, unless I drink the cup of wrath, then your way it is. Do you see that? He has come to the place 
where he has resolved that his understanding of the way things are to be and the understanding of the Father's will are in perfect harmony. And now he knows that he's in alignment with the Father. Regardless of how hard the ordeal will be. And you see, this is what prevented him from using the Father's gifts inappropriately. As the band came to take him away, the disciples rose to action, violent action, taking a sword and chopping off the ear of one of the, one of the men who came. And Jesus says, stop, stop all of this. Do you not think I could have called out to my Father in heaven and had more than 12 legions of angels available to me? But the will of the Father is that the Son would drink the cup, that God's will is to make the cup go away by the death of His Son. Prayer is not manipulating God. Prayer is not to get God to manipulate things to go your way. Prayer is to lock into the will of the Father and receive the powerful equipping that is needed to endure and carry out obediently what the Father has for you. No matter how hard it is. And when the crisis moment arrives, the disciples are not ready. They didn't pray. And Jesus, on the other hand, in verse 46, leaves behind his turmoil and anguish and dark night of the soul and leads his men in God's will. Rise up. Let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Let's go do God's will. That's how prayer contributes to worship. Our Father and our God, I pray this morning that you would give us, if we are in need, an enthusiastic awareness of the greatness of prayer as it connects with our great God in heaven. Our Father, I pray that we would have a new and a profound urgency from the Spirit of God based on the days that are before us, the days that may be short before us, the urgency of the hour. Uh, This city is lost. This region is lost. Our families are lost. Our, Our friends, our co-workers are lost. Our neighbors are lost. We're lost in our sin. We're struggling, Father. We're struggling to overcome temptations. Oh, God, I pray that you would give us a new urgency about prayer in our lives. That not only would it, and and, and in so doing, Lord, uh, man and woman, young person, boy and girl, as we pray and get an urgency of prayer, that it might move its way through our congregation, Lord, and that our congregation might be a praying congregation, Father. Lord, because because we struggle to pray. Oh, Father, 
because you are a sovereign and a great God, let us call out to you that we might have help in the day of trouble and strength to endure, that we might live out your will and righteousness, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, um, I want you to grab your bulletin right now. I want to just use a few moments as a time of application for us here this morning. In your bulletin, there's a, a sheet. In fact, there are two sheets. Because likely one couple received a bulletin, but I want you to hand to your partner that other sheet of paper. It's on prayer, the urgency of prayer. Uh, God has laid on my heart that tonight, tonight needs to be a Gethsemane night. There's an urgency. God is at work among us. Three people came to know the Lord this past week. God is giving evidence of first fruit among us. And this is one of those urgent weeks again where we're calling out to the Lord and, and, and going uh, uh, to the highways and byways and inviting people to come and, and know about the good things of Jesus Christ. And, and so I, I've got there for you this morning a, a prayer sheet application. Because surely, surely we need to pray. Surely you have urgencies in your own life that we need to pray about. And tonight we're going to gather here. and I'm going to invite you to write your prayer requests on those sheets of paper. And we'll, we'll hand them out and we'll, we'll pray over them. Not just tonight, but we'll pray over them for the days to come. And, and, and we'll promise, we'll make a commitment to each other to pray. Surely you have people in your family who are lost. Surely you have children who've wandered away from the faith. Surely you have concerns on your hearts about, about your, your job setting or, 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 or your family or your, or your marriage situation or, or where God is taking you or, or ordeals that you have to overcome. Surely in your heart of hearts there are sins that continue to beset upon your life and you're being tempted and tested and you want to have victory in your life but over and over again you're failing the Lord and, and you need people to pray and, and we need to cry out to the Lord and I'm just, I'm just inviting this to be a time of, of watershed for us here at Calvary where we become a more praying church and call out in the name of the Lord. You know usually when we declare a prayer service it becomes the worst attended service ever. Why is that? It needs to be the most attended service ever. That we come together and call out on our great God. That we have this privilege to come before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And He invites us. And by the way, this is praying with Jesus. This is an invitation to come and pray with Jesus tonight. He'll be here praying with us. He's the one who intercedes on our behalf before the Father. He takes our prayers to the Lord. We need to come and gather. He's commanded us to pray one for the other, to pray continually without ceasing. Far be it from any of us that we would sin against our Lord by forgetting to pray for one another. So as we sing in conclusion this morning, I'm going to ask that you would make this time a time of application, prayer application, and a prayer offering commitment to the Lord. Take what you write down right now. Get pens out or pencils that are in front of you. And you write down on those prayer sheets. Surely you're going to ask somebody to come to, to one of the weekends. Surely you've asked somebody. Maybe they've said no to you. Maybe you, you need the courage to go and ask someone. Write their name down and say, I need the courage to go and ask this person. And watch the Lord open up an opportunity where that person steps right in front of you and makes it so easy for you to ask. We need to ask God for these things. So in a few moments, we're going to stand up and you're going to come up here and, and 
plant your prayer offering right here in this bowl. And we're going to pass them all out tonight, and we're going to pray. And you're going to come back and pray, and it's going to be an amazing time as we meet with the Lord. Pastor Steve. Our Father and our God, what a, what a needy people we really are. We can't even keep the skin over our eyes from falling over our eyeballs. And we think we can go out and face the day without the power and presence of our great God that we hook into in prayer. Our Father, forgive us for our foolish boldness. And thank you, Lord, that you have put in our hearts a renewed urgency to pray. Tonight we're going to come back and pray. And Lord, you have given to us your great blessings, your great presence. And so, our Father, I pray that this evening you would make the call. You call us to yourself. And that we might not be found in sleep or slumber or slacking around. But that here at Calvary tonight would be a Gethsemane time. Where we would meet with the living Christ. That your powerful work might be done done among us. Lord, we want this to be a true watershed moment. In the direction of Calvary Baptist Church. To be a new upgrade in prayer. For Jesus' sake, amen.